ask you to take your pew Bible. Looks like this. <laughs> you don't have to say that in a Baptist church. <clears throat> Turn to page 66, 67 in the New Testament. That's in the back. And go to verse 38. I want you to read a a part. Um, There's this little paragraph there, 38 through um, 40-something, 42. Right in the middle of that paragraph, you'll see a line that Martha says. Begins with the word Lord. It's right smack dab in the middle of it. That's your line. Now, I need you to say that with some degree of uh, angst, self-righteousness, indignation, and disrespect. Can you do that? Okay, I didn't think that'd be hard for you. From Luke ten thirty-eight. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, sounded pretty (laughs) self-righteous. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. So here's what I want to know. How does a story like this make it into the Holy Scriptures? I mean, um, this is about two sisters squabbling. One's listening to Jesus talk. The other one's doing house chores with all due respect. So what? I mean, this little paragraph is in your Bible. It's been there for over 2,000 years. People have been preaching on this paragraph forever. When you compare this story to world issues like Confederate monuments, it's a big deal right now. North Korea, tax reform, health care. This little story just sounds banal. It just sounds like small Potatoes. Mount Martha's doing housework and Mary's listening to Jesus. What in the world could be in this paragraph that would warrant it being in the Bible? Stephen Covey, you know who he is, Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People, written some time ago, but we've never forgotten this book. It's a very crisp, clear, very helpful book. If you're in business or in education or, or even in healthcare, you probably read this book on a workshop seminar or something like that. But Covey tells this story, some of you may know, about a, a business consultant 
uh, in time management, talking to a group of graduate students, and he takes out a wide mouth mason jar, like a big pickle jar, puts it on the desk, and then he takes 12 fist-sized rocks and fills the jar with the rocks. And he asks the class, is the jar full? And they look at each other and say, yeah, uh, pretty full. So the consultant reaches under the table, pulls out a bucket of sand, and begins to pour this fine sand into the jar that goes between all the cracks in the rocks. And slowly but surely, the sand fills all the way to the top. And the professor says, or the consultant says, uh, is it now full? And the students look at each other and go, probably not. <laughs> so he reaches under the table, pours out, uh, takes out a, a pitcher of water and begins to slowly pour it into the rocks and the sand and it filters down to the bottom and comes all the way up to the top. And then he asks the question, what's the point of this? And one of his students said, the point is, sir, that no matter how full your schedule is, you, if you try harder, you can always fit something else into it. <laughs> and he said, uh, well, thank you for that, but no, that's not the point. The point is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in there at all. And then he asked the class, what are your big rocks? Now, isn't that the point Jesus is making with these two sisters? What are your big rocks in life, Martha? Put the big rocks in first or you'll never get them in there at all. They'll be eaten up and taken away by the smaller task in life. Mary has chosen the better part. But here's a problem I have with this paragraph, this text. I like Martha. I really like Martha. I like task-oriented people who get things done. I like to keep lists. And then I will do something, and it's not on my list, and I will go back to my list and write it on my list so I can check it off my list. Do any of you do that? Raise your hand if you do. Oh, look at those Marthas. We got some Marthas in the house. That's what we do. I, my desk is covered with paper lists. My car has lists. Uh, my, you know, I have a list, you know, at home. Keep them all the time. Don't look at them, but I have them. Somebody has to do the work. Somebody's got to be Martha. Somebody's got to get the oil changed in the cars, buy the groceries every week, pay the bills, take care of the kids, have the grass cut, the dogs take care of everybody and all the rest. We need Martha's. And so for the Bible to say Martha was distracted by her many tasks, I want to argue with that a moment and say, is it a distraction to take care of your responsibilities I sound like a Martha, don't I? That's because I am a Martha. I am an off-the-chart J in the Myers-Briggs test. Have you taken that? 
I mean, those of you who haven't, a J is just a, somebody who loves decisions to be made. I am married to a P who is not here this morning, so we're going to talk about her. <laughs> She's on a cousin's weekend. She will be back. But I'm married to a P, which is a person that likes perception. They like to stay open and get more facts before they make a decision. I just go, I I shop on a line, a linear line. I go in and bag the shirts and come out. My wife shops in a circle. She goes around and around things and thinks and comes back and goes around. And I fall dead in the front of the store. Waiting for a decision to be made. I want, just make a decision. I don't care if it's the wrong color. I'll buy a car, take it home, and then realize I don't like this car. (laughs) But I made the decision and that made me feel good. I'm an off the chart J. I score zero in the P column. None. 100% J. Proud of it. I think Martha was my great-great-great-great-grandmother. She's my kind of woman. And she could get up into Jesus' wheelhouse like nobody else in the New Testament. If you look at all the times Martha has a conversation with Jesus, she's always chapping on him, which lets me know a couple of things. They were friends. These were 30-year-old people. They're in their 30s. They're very good friends. Jesus stayed at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house in his last week before his crucifixion. He stayed in Bethany at Mary and Martha's house. These were buddies. They were friends. But Martha would always say, like when Lazarus died and Jesus delayed in coming, she'd say, where have you been? If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. What? We told you four days ago. What have you been doing? Now, Jesus had two choices. He could strike her dead with lightning Or he would say to her, Martha, Martha, Martha. You are so distracted by all the details, Martha. You're going to miss your life. You're going to miss your life, Martha. Because everything has to be just so. Every I has to be dotted. Every T has to be crossed. All the details have to be just perfect, Martha. And in your perfectionism, you're going to miss the wine of life. You don't want to do that. No, he loved this woman, which makes me feel good because um, I'm a Martha. So if this story, this little paragraph you just saw with me is about trashing Martha's, then I think we ought to take it out of the Bible. (laughs) Thomas Jefferson did that. If he didn't like something, he just cut it out. And uh, he's got the Jefferson Bible. You ought to go look at that thing. Um, It's not very long. (laughs) (laughs) But this can't be about trashing Martha. Somebody's got to do the work. Jesus respects that. But he's making a point with these sisters. Busy with all the task. We are prone to lose the purpose. Would you say that with me? Busy with all the tasks, we are prone to lose the purpose. That's right. That's right. I think that's what's going on here. 
And this can happen with an individual, busy with all of my tasks, I can miss the purpose of my life. But listen, it can also happen with a family. The family gets so busy. Parents are so busy with children and children so busy with all their stuff. And grandma and grandpa and this one and that one, that families can get so busy with their tasks that they are prone to lose their purpose, being a family. It can also happen with a business. So caught up in all the tasks, you forget what the purpose of that business really is, and what that business and who that business is serving. It can happen with a nation. We're seeing it a little bit. We get so tied up with all the tasks that we might forget the purpose of being American and being people and being leaders in this world. Committees and schedules and agendas and to-do lists and planning and funding and evaluating, none of those are evil things, but they can become distractions, taking us off our game. Churches struggle with this too, by the way. Churches can get wrapped up in what I would call house chore Christianity. Churches are so tied up with the house chores of being church that they are prone to lose their purpose. Get everybody on a committee, sign up for this, sign up for that, sell this, sell that. You know, make sure everybody comes to this and comes to that. And, and 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Did you, you know that? 20% of the people, do, now if you're that 20%, would you please raise your hand right now? 20%, no, I'm, I'm messing with you. But boy, they got their hands up quick. Did you see that? <laughs> and when 20% are doing all the work, I'd say 100% of that 20% are Martha's. Nothing wrong with being Martha. You wouldn't be sitting in this beautiful sanctuary this morning and enjoying this worship experience had not some Martha's taken care of some details about you being here. We've got to have this woman. But it's possible for a church to turn into a Martha church and lose its Mary, lose its ability to sit at the feet of Jesus and become a busy, 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 busy Martha, distracted by many things. Douglas Hall writes, a church that has been led to be, quote, worried and distracted by many things, inevitably will be a community that dwells in the shadows of frantic potlucks anxious stewardship campaigns and events designed simply to perpetuate the institution. I don't know. It might be my age. I'm 63. Or it might be the fact I've been in the ministry a long time. I've been in, um, I sound like prison. I've been in for 30. (laughs) Some days it is like prison. Um, If y'all got a minute, I'll use this as a therapy moment. Um, But I've been in the ministry over 38 years. I don't know whether it's my age or or both of those. But you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to take a a church into a full year of a sabbatical. Think with me for a minute what I mean by this. We ministers get a sabbatical. Every seven years we get to take a couple of months off. I'd like to give a church a sabbatical, not from worship, not from caring for the poor, but maybe from some of the frantic busyness 
I look at some websites on churches and I just lose my breath. I'm like, who's doing all that? Who's coming to all that? Who's paying for all that? What is all that accomplishing? Is that a bunch of Marthas who are just driving the church right down in the ground? What's going on here? I'd like to bring all the programs to a halt. Can't you feel the Marthas going crazy right now in the room? Oh, you'd have to do a few house chores. We'd have to pay the bills and make sure, you know, certain things are done. But I'd like to flush the system of the busyness and go back into the big rocks. No night meetings. Go home. Be with your family. Spend some time with your wife and your children. Instead of always being busy and gone and busy and gone. And what if we coordinated morning prayers where all the members of First Presbyterian Church throughout all of Richmond, on every morning we were all having the same morning prayers together in our homes. Wonder how that would change our church. Or what would it be like if we said, for this one year, we're going to read the Bible together, coordinate the reading, and we're going to read the Bible from cover to cover in this year as a church? Or what if we had family devotions? family devotion, where the parents were teaching the children. You realize that Sunday school is only once a week, and it only lasts about 40 minutes, and most of the kids don't come every week. And so the real educators for children are are not the Christian educators up at the church. The real educators for children are their parents. They're the ones that have them all the time, and you're the ones who are teaching them what a Christian looks like. What if we had family devotions for a year and morning prayers and read through the scriptures? And then, you know, you can't throw away all your outreach ministry, but what if you just drilled down into one, one focus of outreach? Like for one year, we're going to make a dent in affordable housing, or we're going to make a dent in homelessness, or we're going to make a dent in something in this city, and we're going to make a difference in that year rather than spread ourselves out so thin and nickel and dime here and there and give somebody some money for their budget. We're going to deep dive one area, and this church is going to become known for a church that cares about that can't do it all. So why don't you do one thing well? That'd be an interesting sabbatical, wouldn't it? Because you can't take a sabbatical from loving the poor. Can't sit home and do nothing. Oh, I'd love, here's, here's something. I know I'm an interim, so, you know, I'm leaving sooner or later, but I would love to see a church shut down its website by putting this page up. So you go to First Presbyterian Church, Richmond, Virginia, pull it up, And it says this, our church is on a sabbatical year. Join us in praying for the world and in Sunday worship. Home Bible studies and family devotionals are available. We share a meal together on Wednesday evenings and we invite those who are homeless in our city to come and join us for dinner. Wow. Is that big rocks or what? Call the church office if you need a pastor and Mary Kay will come out and see you. (laughs) Because Esther and I are interims. (laughs) 
not messing with you. Her parents are here today, and she said, be nice to me. My mama's here. I said, yeah, whatever. And then just put on there, see you on Sunday, and invite someone to come with you. That's all. That's the website. That's a powerful church right there, folks. That's a church this world needs right now. Not a busy Martha church. Not a church trying to catch the market and sell this and sell that and get people to come to this, come to that. But a church that knows what business it's in. A church that knows how to get in touch with its Mary. The part of ourselves that sits at the feet of Christ himself. It's amazing. We know why this little story is in the Bible. There's a Mary and Martha within each of you. There's that part of you that needs to take care of the task, but there's also a Mary in you, and Jesus is calling that Mary out, calling it up. Where is she? Where is that part of you that sits at my feet and learns from me? We need both sisters. That's what that paragraph's about. And the real task, Martha, is to give the Mary within us the opportunity to lead us to the better part. Thank God for both of these women and for their testament today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.